God, as we turn to your word and uh, look at what is really an essential, essential doctrine of the gospel, uh, we ask that you would uh, give us understanding, attentiveness, and the ability to see how life-altering and needed this truth is. Help us see, God, that right now we're not simply filling our time with something nice to do on a Sunday afternoon, but that all of us, we desperately need to hear from you. And we're people who are desperately in need of your continued grace and rescue that you give to us in Christ. So come and direct our minds, God, um, direct our hearts, direct our thoughts to Jesus, and let us be led to him uh, in worship through this time. In Christ's name, amen. So what we're looking at today, we're going to look at one of the top, probably like two or three essential doctrines in Christianity. It's called uh, union with Christ. Can you guys say that? Union with Christ? Union with Christ. Awesome. I love when, I love when everyone does that. It makes me so excited. Um, union with Christ. And it's a doctrine that is immensely relevant to all of the searching and longing that we do as human beings. This doctrine is not only just essential to Christianity, but it's so relevant to all of the longing and searching that we do as people, believers or not, the searching and longing we do just as human beings. And the big idea, the big upshot from what we're going to look at in just one verse in in the book of Galatians is that through union with Jesus, through union with Christ, we get all the true benefits that we look for in the wrong places. I don't know about you guys, but I often will look for a right thing in the wrong place. How many of you lose things often? No, no one. Okay, that was slow. Okay. Reluctant truth tellers. Great. I lose things all the time, particularly because I have a lot on my mind all the time. Not because I'm important, but I, my mind maybe is just slow and it can't handle so many things. So I'm just like, on certain days, I'm just losing things and I lose my keys and I, I think they're in the living room. I don't find them in the living room. I give up after about 30 seconds. The next thing you know, I'm looking in the backyard for my keys. And it's like, okay, I'm looking for my keys, but I'm, I'm totally not anywhere near where they are. I'm searching for the right thing, but I'm searching for it in the wrong place. What we're going to look at is that union with Christ is the answer to all of the things that we search for as human beings. And we're going to see that from not just a propositional truth, but from a narrative biographical and propositional truth from somebody who searched, somebody who did the opposite of what uh, God actually lays out, saw that that didn't work, and then came to Jesus, the most unlikely of characters, the Apostle Paul. Someone who was a violent persecutor and a violent objector to the gospel of Christianity. So let's go ahead and jump in. We're really just going to look at... um, one verse in particular, but really the whole section around it uh, ties in and we're drawn from that context. So I encourage you to read it uh, maybe this week or later today if you want to get a little bit more uh, into what we'll touch on uh, today. But we're going to look at the letter of uh, Galatians. Uh, This is a New Testament letter, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, written by the Apostle Paul. Um, who wrote uh, a good chunk of the New Testament. So this is the letter that he's writing to, to a first century church. Um, much of the Bible is letters, so that's a little context there. And this is what he says. He has just been describing his background. He's been describing his ministry. He's been describing his life, a sort of biography. And he gets to this point where Paul, as a Jewish man, says that he realized that he couldn't get to God through his obedience to God's law or commands, but that he realized he could only get to God 
through receiving the grace that God extended in Jesus. And as he's explaining that, he gives this verse here that is sort of an anthem to his life and an anthem to anybody really who has been impacted and trusted in the gospel of Jesus. He says this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul says there. He goes on in verse 21 and he says, I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What he's saying in 21 is he's saying, I don't cancel out what Jesus did by trying to earn my way to God through merit or through obedience or through strict religious devotion because that won't make it happen. It's only through receiving the grace that is in Jesus. So Paul lived his life with a strict devotion to first century Judaism because he knew these essential things. He knew that he needed God. He knew that he was sinful. He knew that he was guilty. He knew that he had done wrong, not just in the eyes of other people, but ultimately in the eyes of God. And so he knew he needed a remedy for that. He was searching and looking for a way to be accepted and brought back into a relationship with Creator God. He was looking for a good and right thing. He thought he could find it, though, in the wrong place. He thought he could find it by strict devotion to God's commands and laws. And eventually, he gets to the point that we just read in Galatians 2.20. He realizes that doesn't work, and then he says, I've been crucified with Christ. The life I live now, I no longer live uh, in the flesh, but by faith in the Son of God. He realized he couldn't get to his God on his own because he couldn't change his status by obedience. What Paul was looking for, he's looking for uh, essentially, and this is what he talks about throughout that chapter, he's looking for justification. Can you guys say justification? justification. You, you can, this is great. Okay, you, we, all, we all can say that word, that's fantastic. Justification is a really uh, nice word, long word. What it means is a right standing and acceptance uh, before God. And that's what Paul is looking for. It's a good thing to look for. It's a right thing to look for. He's looking for it in the wrong place. He's looking for justification, forgiveness, and acceptance, but in the wrong place. And then he has this encounter with Jesus, and he finds it. He finds it in his truest uh, and, and soul place. But let, let's, let's step back and also realize how relevant this is to us in every area of our lives. Right? Don't we, like Paul, look for good things in the wrong places? And not in trivial ways like me losing my keys, but in actually like serious ways that end up damaging us and damaging others. Right? I want you to think about this. Think about, think about all the things that you go to bed excited about. Right? You know how you get to bed and you lie there and you start thinking that the things you're thinking about before you go to sleep are usually things you're worried about or things you're excited about and you can't wait till you ha- they happen or you get to them next. Right, So think about all the things you think about and you're excited as you're about to go to bed. Maybe it's the next purchase. Maybe it's your next compliment. Maybe it's the next relationship. 
Maybe it's your next escape from the craziness of your life, the next three-day weekend, the next vacation, uh, the next little respite of rest from whatever season of life you're going through right then and now. Maybe it's your next job because the one you're in right now you despise. Maybe it's your next uh, paycheck because money is tight. Or maybe it's your next paycheck because money is loose and you know with that paycheck you get a splurge on that thing that you've really been looking for. Right? When we're doing those things, we're not actually really that excited about the thing we're thinking about. We're excited about the benefit that that thing will bring to us. Right? It's not really that exciting for us, is it, when we think about another paycheck coming and extra money coming where we can buy more clothes or a new outfit or a new haircut or a new wardrobe or whatever it might be. It's not the clothes in and of itself that's exciting. It's what we think we're going to get from those clothes. It's what we think we're going to get from that item. And here's what we're probably looking for. If we're like Paul, if you're like me, and if you're like most human beings, is you're looking for some type of justification in those things. Right, if you're excited about the three-day weekend, it's not something, right? How many of you have three-day weekend for tomorrow? Patriots Day. I was like, oh, should, I was like, should I take work off? This is, this, is, this is something I should do. I'm not going to. But it's not like the three-day weekend, the Monday is like some special thing that really gives you something. It's what you get out of that Monday. It's, a, it's an extra day to escape from responsibility, right? It's not that the day off in and of itself provides for it. It's what you see it giving you. So we can look at things not for what they actually are in and of themselves, but what they give us. Personal validation, acceptance, approval. How about this? Quieting our deep insecurities. Quieting our sense of guilt. Right? Quieting our sense of uh, the fact that maybe at the end of the day we don't feel all that loved. Right? Retail therapy. We're quieting something when we do those things. And what Paul is declaring and what he's showing us is that those good things, those right things that God has made us to experience, they're good and right only when we don't make them ultimate and only when we find those benefits in the right place. That's what he's laying out for us. Uh, C.S. Lewis is a great writer, um, Narnia, a bunch of other theological things, philosophical stuff. He... Um, he had this analogy, and I'm paraphrasing it in Claude, but it's the same gist. He basically said, we're like kids from, we're like a kid from the slum who has a chance to go to the most beautiful beach, free ride there, play there all day, bus waiting outside of our house to take us there, but we're more content playing in the mud. Right? We're looking for pleasure, we're looking for a good thing, we're looking for it in the wrong place. And that's what Paul is showing here. He came to understand that by obedience to God's law, you could not be justified in God's sight. That means for you, for me, for Paul, there's nothing we can do or could do to be, cleared, to be declared right in God's sight. We're too broken, sinful, and flawed to collect enough good deeds to get to God. God is too good, pure, and holy to simply overlook the wrong Paul has committed, the wrong that you and I commit in word, thought, and deed. So to think that we can get there through Obedience or religious devotion is looking for the right thing, acceptance with God, but in the wrong place. But look at what Paul says. Then he gets to this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does this mean? 
What does this mean? What Paul's doing here is he's speaking to the key that all the things that we search for are found in Jesus. In their deepest, truest, most ultimate way, they're found in Jesus through union with Him. And here's why. Through union with Jesus, we get the benefits of Jesus' saving work. Through union with Jesus, we get the benefits of His saving work. Have you ever, uh, have you ever asked this or wondered this? How in the world does somebody who died 2,000 years ago, how in the world does that benefit somebody in 2015? You ever wondered that? Right? How in the world does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, how do the benefits of that come to anybody who wasn't actually there or anybody who wasn't there at that time period or anybody at any point in history? How in the world do those things get connected? How does Claude Acho get connected with the crucifixion of Jesus in uh, 2,000 miles away or however far away that is 2,000 years ago? You ever wonder that? The answer is through union with Jesus. Here's what that doctrine teaches, and here's what Paul is talking about here. Union with Christ, it teaches that by God's Spirit, anyone and everyone who trusts in Jesus by faith is spiritually united to Jesus, and they receive Him and all of His saving benefits. That through faith, you become united to Jesus by his spirit. That's how what Jesus has done 2,000 years ago could have any impact on somebody in this room. It's through union with Christ and it comes uh, by faith in the spirit uniting us to him. Which is why Paul can say, hey, I was crucified with Jesus. When you think about that, that makes no sense. Was Paul there? No. Was, was, were, was another person nailed to the cross behind Jesus? No. Were all Christians nailed to the cross physically with Jesus? No. But through union with Jesus, by faith, they were. So Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. And the statement that he makes there is true for anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus, whether it happens now or whether it happened uh, 10 years ago. This is your statement if you're a Christian. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying the old rebellious to God, me, the old sinful, hostile to God, me, died with Jesus. That when he died, that part of me died. When he died, my sins were paid for. When he died, the debt of sin that I had before God also died. And when he rose, I rose to spiritual life to God through him. What's the link there? It's through union with Christ that comes not by works, as Paul was trying to do, but by faith. That's what Paul is laying out. And here's why there's essentially two Pauls. This is actually four. Here's why there's essentially two Pauls. There was an old Paul who you can read about in Acts chapters 7 and 8, I believe, uh, in the New Testament. There was a Paul who was so against Jesus that he went around trying to arrest people that were for or believed in Jesus. That the New Testament actually describes Paul as being present at the execution uh, in the illegal execution of somebody who was trusting in Jesus. That was the old Paul. And then something happens to Paul where he becomes this person who is now on the run from people trying to kill him so that he can more effectively preach Jesus. 
So if you look at Paul's life, there's essentially two halves. There's the old Paul who did this, and there's the new Paul who did that. The question is, what happened? Well, he had an encounter with Jesus that happened through faith, and he was united to Christ and received forgiveness and justification with God, the saving benefits that come through union with Jesus. And because of that, Paul can say, I was crucified with Christ. Not only were his sins paid for, but his old way of living, the parts of it that were out of line with what God uh, has laid out, that died. That went into a grave. That was gone. And there's a new Paul living and walking. I wonder for you, what are the the two tales or the two halves of your life? If you're here and you're following Jesus, you probably have that um, marked in some way. Maybe you used to live for acceptance and approval through relationships. Maybe you used to live for acceptance and approval through being a good church person. And then you had an encounter with Jesus. And maybe you still struggle with those things, but like Paul, you're able to say, hey, that part of me is gone, and though I still battle it, I've been forgiven and made new through Jesus. If you're here and you're not even sure uh, what you believe or um, it's whatever you do believe, it's not faith in Jesus. What's the story of your life? What do you look for or where do you look for justification? What is the narrative that defines you? And is that actually providing you with the benefits or the things that you're looking for? Because Paul lived in great devotion to something and found it turning up empty. And here's why the gospel of Jesus is so vital. Because in it, we get these benefits that are absolutely crucial to human experience. We get restored to our creator. But then everything that we deal with, even on a horizontal plane, we find the benefits in Jesus for those horizontal things that we're searching for. I don't know if you saw this. This happened maybe about a year ago. There was a uh, public relations rep who was going on a trip to Africa. And uh, before she got on the plane, she, um, she was an avid Twitter user. Before she got on the plane, she tweeted out a joke. She tweeted out a distasteful, um, and I don't think she was trying to be malicious, but it was definitely not something that you should say. Um, but she tweeted out something about Africa. And she was heading to an African uh, country. And so she tweets that out right as she gets on the plane. Mind you, this is a public relations rep, okay? Just keep that in mind. Um, Then she gets on the plane, right? I don't know where she was flying from, but pretty much anywhere in America to Africa is going to be a long trip. So she's in the air for seven, eight hours, whatever. And um, while she's airborne, the tweet goes viral. Gets retweeted a bunch, goes everywhere, and a hashtag... um, starts on social media, which is a way to um, indicate you're talking about the same topic. Um, And the hashtag is, has Justine been fired yet? So imagine this, you tweet something, you go away for like six hours, and uh, everybody sees it. It's something you shouldn't have said, it's embarrassing, it was was wrong, but you know, it it was a tweet. And it goes viral. She gets off the plane, what do you think is like one of the first things uh, she does when she gets off the plane? Turns her phone on. She turns her phones on, finds out that this tweet has gone viral. The internet, right? The internet is a scary mob that you don't want to get on the wrong side of. 
Um, if it, so if you take away two things from the sermon, one is Jesus, two is don't get the internet mad at you, okay? No, no one can help you. Um, no one can help you. Not even Batman can help you if you get the internet mad at you. Uh, who is the best superhero as an aside and tangent? But she, she tweets this, and she gets off the plane, and she finds out that people are demanding that she's fired. She finds out that her most embarrassing moment has been made public in the biggest way. What do you think are the two overwhelming emotions that are flooding into her mind and her heart? Guilt and shame. Guilt, I've done wrong. Shame, I'm worthless. Guilt and shame in waves. Imagine that was you. Imagine your most embarrassing moment where, yeah, you did something wrong, but everybody sees it. Imagine the waves of shame and guilt. Now, For us and for me and you, for every human being, that's not a matter of if that ever happens. It's simply a matter of when, right? Think about the last time you were overwhelmed by a sense of shame or guilt. It's debilitating. It's crushing. And how do you look to cope with that when it comes? Do you numb it with media? Do you quiet it by forgetting it? Do you try to calm it down by talking through it with somebody? But what happens when it comes back? Right? Shame and guilt will debilitate and paralyze you. And every way that we search to deal with them as humans usually inevitably comes up short. But here's what the gospel of Jesus provides through union with Jesus. So that Jesus doesn't just push it back like a wave just to come in with the tide at another time. That Jesus takes our shame, takes our guilt upon himself on the cross. That through union with him, someone like Paul who had been that violent, basically a religious terrorist, could later say, I've been crucified with Christ. And could later even say in 2 Corinthians that I don't even judge myself. His point being that he doesn't even dwell on the wrong things that he's done before because he knows that his shame and his guilt has been dealt with. Are you that free from shame and guilt? Do you feel that type of freedom and justification before people and before God? That is what is offered to us in Jesus. And and here's why. Here's why this happens through union with Jesus. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but, but he who lives in me. And this is what Paul is saying there. He's saying that there's been this great transaction of rescuing grace that happens upon the cross of Jesus. Is that when Jesus dies, when he is hanging upon a Roman tree for anyone and everyone who is united to him by faith and not by works, the benefits that Jesus worked so hard to earn through his perfect obedience, through his devotion to God the Father, those benefits are transferred to everyone who is united to him by faith. And all of the wrong that those people have done is transferred and put upon him so that we can be declared righteous because he was declared guilty. We can be declared forgiven because he took our penalty. We can be declared clean because he was treated as if he was impure. That's all of what is happening on the cross for those who are united to Jesus. 
And the thing is, when you think about this section of Galatians 2.20, Paul at the end says what? Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus does this without having to have his arm twisted. Jesus goes forward to take this upon himself and give us his benefits in love. Not in compulsion, not in uh, neglecting responsibility, trying to postpone it to the last minute and then finally like, I guess I have to do this, this is going to be horrible, I'll do it anyway. He goes willingly. That's the love of Jesus for us, provided for us in union with Jesus. So it means that in Jesus, everything your heart longs for, every true and good thing your heart longs for, is found in Him. It's found in Him. Uh, you'll see this throughout uh, the, the Bible, this doctrine of union with Christ. It's usually described in just two words. Uh, you, I don't, you won't ever find union with Christ, those three phrases together in the Bible. Um, but you'll find two words that describe it all over the place. Um, in Christ. Anytime you see, if you're looking at the New Testament, anytime you see in Christ, it's talking about this doctrine. In Christ, and it appears all over the place. And I just want you to hear um, a couple of things that happen when we're united to Jesus. What that what that means, and what that looks like. Because in Jesus, everything that our hearts long longs for is found. Listen, listen to these things. In Christ, you are loved, accepted, noticed, cherished, meaningful, and forgiven. In Christ, there's no condemnation for any sin or wrong you have committed because Jesus was condemned for you on the cross. So your longing to be free from shame and guilt is found. In Jesus, we're new creations. So your longing for a fresh start, a redo on your life, if you ever felt like that, that is secured in Jesus. In Jesus, we're set free from the penalty of sin and death, so our longing for a release from a judgment or accountability, we're secure. We don't have to fear any of those things. In Christ, we have eternal life, so our desire for a longing, loving relationship that someone would know us completely, but accept us also completely, is actually provided. In Jesus, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing, so our longing for a true spirituality is found. In Christ, we are God's kids, so our longing to be delighted in and loved, no matter what we do or what we've done, is actually ours. In Christ, we're welcomed into God's present and future kingdom, so our longing to be a part of a perfect world, a perfect place, or maybe simply just a, a nice neighborhood, one day will actually be fulfilled. Those are just a few of the benefits that come from being united to Jesus by faith and not by works. That's why there's such a big emphasis. If you've been anywhere around Christianity, that's why there's such a big emphasis on, on don't earn, you can't earn your way to God. Don't try to do that. Simply turn to Jesus, trust in Jesus. That's why there's such a big emphasis because through faith we become united to this loving Savior. And outside of that union, his benefits, they don't come to us in that way. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like if I tell you that I'm going to drive to Disney World tomorrow because I just found out mid-sermon that it's Patriot's Day. Um, if I tell you I'm driving to Disney World and you're like, Disney World, I want to go. 
And I say, hey, I'm gonna pick you up. What's your address? I'll pick you up there tomorrow at like 8 a.m. Have some donuts and coffee in the car. We'll have a great road trip. I got Spotify Premium. We can listen to a lot of great music. I got some great podcasts. We can learn a lot of good things. It's gonna be great. And you're like, yes, I'm in. So you pack your bag, you're standing right there on the curb or whatever street that you live on, and you're just waiting. And I said, I'm gonna pick you up at nine. You're so excited. You get there at 8.53, ready and early to get picked up by me. So I pull up in my Camry with no hubcaps. And you see it, and that doesn't deter you. You say, I'm still excited to go. And I'm like, great. So I'm like, come on in, man or woman. Come on in, and let's head down to Disney World. And you're like, yes, this is going to be great. But tell me more about Disney World. So I tell you about this ride and the Mickey Mouse and the Minnie Mouse, and those are the only things I know about Disney World. So I Google it, and I tell you more. You say, tell me more. I keep telling you. And eventually, I'm like, We'll get in and we'll drive there. And you're like, what? Tell me more. This is going to be great. Get in and we'll drive there. And you just stand on the curb and you learn about it. You hear about it. You look at it. You think about it. But you just, I can't get you in the car. You don't get in the car. We need to get in the car to go from A A to B, right? We, We need to go from A to B. And that's really what union with Christ is. Is that Jesus puts us in him so that we can get the benefits of what we could not do for ourselves. That is only in him that we get those benefits. And that's why when you look at the New Testament and when you begin to examine this, that's why there's such an emphasis on stop trying to earn your way. Stop trying to do this. It's simply trust in Jesus. Believe in him. Turn to him. Trust in him. Because when you do that, you're put in him and the benefits that Jesus died to give to his people are given to you personally. That's union with Christ. It's a beautiful doctrine. And here's the last thing. Through union with Jesus, we get the benefits of his loving and guiding presence. Not only do we get the benefits of all the things we look for in the wrong places, but we also get the benefits of his loving and guiding presence. Uh, have you ever been around? Um, have you ever been around a couple where you can just tell that there is a deep affection there? And not like the, hey, I just met you, and like, you're cute, and I'm cute, and uh, we have a lot of, we look like we have a lot of affection for each other, but that's only because we don't know about each other's flaws yet. I'm talking about like the, the deep affection where you can see, and you're like, that, they know, they know that they're both messed up, but like, they really have an affection for each other. You can just see it, you can just feel it when you're around them, right? You feel that type of affection when you read this verse from Paul, right? L- listen, listen to it one more time. Listen to the affection dripping off of his pen. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's what we hear in this. Is that union with Christ provides us with two things. The benefits of the gospel of Jesus, but it also provides us with this. Jesus himself. That's the affection you hear there. Um, How? Well, it's by faith that the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus personally, that Jesus actually dwells in us spiritually. Uh, 1 John 4.13 says it like this, another uh, New Testament letter says, By this we know that we abide in Him, Jesus, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. We're united to Jesus in that way. Why does this matter? 
Well, that means that Jesus is given to you and he begins to guide you. That's why Paul says, hey, it's no longer me who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself uh, for me. That's what Paul lays out there. He's saying, hey, it's not like I just changed my name to Jesus and Paul is dead and my friends are now calling me Jesus. No, I'm still Paul. I'm still me. But there's a new director of my life. I'm united to him. And he's guiding me and he's leading me. Maybe you've seen... um, this was a cheesy thing, so actually I hope you've never seen it. Um, but maybe you've seen this at some point. Uh, it was a bumper sticker or a phrase like back in the day um, that Jesus is my co-pilot. Anybody seen that? No, I'm so sorry. Did what? Any of you would do that? Was that you? <laughs> should, I should check that before I say these things. Um, getting to the end of the sermon, beginning to unravel. Fantastic. Okay. Um, well, that was the saying, Jesus is my co-pilot. Which, great intent, right? It's like, kind of like, I'm here and Jesus is there, like, helping me out, but I'm really flying the plane. Where do you, you want to go, Jesus? But I'm going to go. Um, that, you know, it's a good intent, but really, if you think of, you were to take that, it's like, Jesus is the plane, Jesus is the airport, Jesus is the runway, like, he's everything. He's the one that's in charge. And what Paul is saying is that when you encounter Jesus, you encounter that you are accepted by God simply by grace through the work of Jesus, not through being churchy or religious or, or being devoted, simply through the grace and work of Jesus alone. When you encounter that truly, you're united to Jesus and he begins to direct you. He's your rescuer and your director, your, your savior and your Lord. And that's actually really good news. That's happy news. You know why? Because if somebody were to write, uh, well not somebody, if you were to write the biography of your life story, uncut, 100% accurate, 100% unfiltered. Who do you think would be the person that causes you the most trouble in that story? Who do you think would be the person in your life story who is constantly the most frustrating, who is constantly the most disappointing, who is the most consistent person that lets you down time after time to the point where you're like, why did you do that again? Who do you think that would be? It's probably you. You're probably that person in your life story. Now, I don't want to discount that you may have actually been, you might actually be Batman and like have some villain that is actually trying to like ruin your life. Um, Or you might have something like that. But for most people, Ordinary people, and I'm calling you ordinary, um, and myself. But for most of us, it's most likely that if we look at our life story, it's us who causes us the most trouble. Not the only person, but we do it a lot to ourselves. And what is offered through union with Jesus and through the gospel is that, hey, there's a new director in town who's going to guide us and who's going to lead us and who's going to direct us and help shape us. So the question is, if you are united to Jesus by faith, Are you like Paul saying, hey, I live my life by faith in the Son of God. He is guiding me. He is directing me. Or are you living by some other direction and code, American dream, uh, the most comfort that you can get, get rich, die trying, success as justification, um, being socially conscious as justification. What are you looking for for justification? And let's close with this. Paul's words. He loved me and gave himself for me. That's the heart of Jesus. He loved me and he gave himself 
for me. And we get all of those benefits in Jesus. In Jesus, we are forgiven. In Jesus, we are reconciled to God. In Jesus, we are God's child. In Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Through union with Jesus, we get all of those saving benefits. So let me just ask you these things. What if you stop numbing guilt for wrong and instead believe that in Jesus, you've been fully forgiven by God? What if you stop looking for ultimate acceptance, ultimate relief, ultimate comfort in relationships, appearance, career, social activism, and instead believe that in Jesus you have been known and loved and you are accepted by the God of the universe? What difference would that make for you this week when all of those storms, big or small, begin to to come uh, face to face with you? Let me tell you this, if, if Redeemer is your, is, is, is your home, um, how compelling would our community be to our city if they saw a group of people who had a lot of joy and lived kind of free from all of the things that usually weigh people down? Wouldn't that be appealing to people? And when we would say, hey, it's not because I'm so great and you should hear some of my sermons. It's really because we've encountered this grace that comes through faith unites us to Jesus, and really begins to change everything. So Paul's last words, he loved me and he gave himself for me. It's the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, you have done, uh, you've done the unthinkable by giving us through faith, not by works, but through faith. You've given us the, the benefits of your life, your death, your resurrection. And so we praise you that you've taken and paid for um, our guilt, our sin, our shame. And though it was physically horrific for you to endure that, it was much more agony spiritually as you felt the burden of, uh, of the penalty for our sins, but you took it in love. And so we praise you for that, that through you we're not just forgiven, but that we're loved, we're accepted, we're completely known. And completely loved. So I pray, God, that I know I need to hear that. I know there's people here that need to hear that. God, would you sink that truth deep into our minds and our hearts that we can live in freedom and enjoy? And God, just uh, praise you for that. God, we ask for help. That you would also help us to find in you and in Jesus all the things that we look, um, all the things that we look for in the wrong places. Forgive us of where we've done that uh, even this last week. And help us to find that, uh, help us to see and know that in Jesus we have those things given to us freely and fully. And I pray that as we head into a new week, God, that you would help us to rest in Christ, knowing that we are accepted and we are connected and that we are united to you and that we are justified in your sight. No matter how well we do, no matter how poorly we do, but simply by your grace and the work of Jesus. We love you, we praise you. Amen.